Rusty Quill presents. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey guys. Welcome to season six. I hope you're ready for the journey. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've been streaming a lot on Twitch recently at twitch.tv slash You can come watch me play GeoGuessr and do speed runs and listen to soundtracks and talk about the show and hang out. Again, that's twitch.tv slash In other news, the soundtrack to the season five finale, Ready to Die, is available on Bandcamp at wobegonpod.bandcamp.com or as part of the perks of being a $5 patron. And that is patreon.com slash woe underscore begone, where you can get soundtracks like that, as well as early access to episodes, instrumentals, Q&As, director's commentaries, and more. That's patreon.com slash woe underscore begone. Special thanks to my 10 newest patrons, Wheels Wheeler, Chris B. Cream, Cabin420, Dakota Smith, Artemis, Hype Boost, Shep, Stampy the Elephant, Catboy, and Collective Solipsism for supporting the show. Enjoy. Edgar, I don't know if you'll ever read this. I don't know how it would even get to you. I think I'm mostly just writing this for myself. They won't tell me anything. I don't even know if they know anything. I don't know when I am in time. I don't know anything, and I'm scared. But if you're reading this, that means that it's too late to worry about me. Either I'm fine or I'm not and worrying will not make the difference between the two. Likewise, Panther, I know that you are either alive or you are dead, and worrying won't change that either, and I worry. I'm a hypocrite. You knew that. Hunter said that he wasn't going to kill me, but once I figured out where I was, I wasn't sure that he was telling the truth. I was surrounded by forest, Tall, skinny birch trees on all sides, no roads in sight. It's common knowledge that if you're lost in the woods, you're supposed to stay put and wait for help to arrive. The problem is, this advice assumes that someone knows what continent you're on, what year you're in, and that anyone you know is alive to come to your rescue, and none of those conditions seemed applicable to me. I had been placed in a makeshift green oubliette, sent by Hunter to a forgotten place to be forgotten about. If I were going to live, I would have to start walking. So, I walked. 
I decided to walk downhill because I remembered hearing once that downhill is the direction that you should walk if you're trying to find civilization. Civilization is usually built around water, and water flows downhill due to gravity. I don't know. So I walked downhill for some time, maybe hours, eventually realizing a handful of things that made this less productive an effort than it could have been. I had no real sense of direction, and hadn't been keeping adequate track of what direction I was going, it was beginning to get dark and cold, and I had no means of building a shelter or starting a fire, and my head was still clouded and racing from what had just happened to me. I would walk for a few minutes and then realize that I wasn't paying any attention to where I was going. Instead, I was thinking about what Hunter had said to me, what he had done just before he transported me to where I was. Because of this, at one point I tripped over a log and stayed on the ground, unable to will myself upright. I relived that moment inside of Over again and again. I would relive it once, and then I would immediately start over. I couldn't think about anything else. Base was gone. That's what Hunter wanted me to know right before he transported me. Punished Hunter had posed as Innocent Hunter to get the information that he wanted or needed, and once he got that, he and the people he was working with destroyed Base. I didn't know if he was working with just the other two hunters, or if there were people that I didn't know about. But... Base was empty, wasn't it? Anne was out on some other mission, I don't remember if she told us what the mission was. Edgar was at Over with Charlie. He brought her the picture of Brezina to see if she remembered him. Marissa had left Base to go get snacks, while she was waiting for us to get back into Over. And Hunter was in the middle of double-crossing me. And that's everyone. It only came as an afterthought who would be left at base with everyone gone. The hamsters. Just another kick in the teeth, I guess. And the calculators were there too. And while not alive, were vital assets to the base. And they were necessary for launching any Mike Walters rescue mission. I'm sure that collecting them was at least part of Hunter's plan. Then, why would Hunter choose that moment to destroy the base? He knew as well as I did that no one was there. He did say that he was the one dissenting voice in whether or not I should be killed. He could have been the only Hunter that knew that we would survive, and was giving us a chance to get to safety. Or maybe they wanted the place empty so that they could steal the calculators before they blew it up, and then they hunted everyone down like animals. My imagination was adept at describing the latter scenarios and not the former. It was easy to convince myself that this was the more likely of the two options. I nearly froze to death that first night. I managed to make a small shelter out of branches and leaves, but all that amounted to was I was still freezing, but there were some branches over my head. The ground and the branches were damp, which meant that even if I knew how to start a fire using only kindling and a stick, and I didn't, it wasn't going to happen that night. I sat in my shelter too cold to sleep, as grief shifted into dread, shifted into panic, and then back into dread, and I was numb by morning, in several senses of the word. By the time the sun came up, I had become severely dehydrated and needed to find a water source. I wrang out my damp clothes for water, which was disgusting, but necessary. I thought about trying to get extra water from the leaves and the ground, but I wasn't that desperate yet. And after that, I could die of dehydration, or even starvation, if I was lucky enough to live that long. 
just don't die. A voice in my head said meekly. It was dying too. The sun was high overhead when I found a stream. The warm sun and the plentiful water didn't feel like a relief. I couldn't bring myself to see it as anything more than warm sun and running water. Still, my body acted automatically and greedily. I hunched over the stream for what felt like lifetimes drinking. I couldn't compel my body to do anything except for drink from the stream. I drank until I felt nourished, not only hydrated but full for a fleeting moment. I laid down on my back in the grass beside the stream. Sleep crept in without my permission. I remember fighting it, trying to keep my eyes open. I wasn't safe here. I was in a strange place. I was literally on my back with my belly exposed. It was not safe to sleep here. It didn't matter. I was full. I was warm. I fell asleep. Just don't die. The voice was getting stronger, but it was tired too. I have to go for now, Panther. I'll write you again soon. I want to tell you everything. Love, Mike. Edgar. I'm sorry that I had to leave you on a cliffhanger, Panther. I ran out of time. I have to keep doing things that I don't want to do. If you're reading this, then you already know about them. You knew about them before, but now we both know that it was me. They aren't giving me any choices, so I shouldn't feel sorry, but I do. They don't allow me to do anything. I actually had to steal this pen and pad off of a table when no one was looking. I don't know if I'll get in trouble if I'm caught, so I've been hiding it under my mattress. They shouldn't care, it's not like I can get a message to the outside world. I wouldn't even know how to begin to hatch a plan to do something like that. If things get interrupted in my story, then you'll know something happened. If you even get them, I mean. I'm sorry, Panther. I'll keep telling my story. I woke up on my back in the warm sun and rolled to my side. As I rolled over, I was immediately met with shrub-like branches in my face. As I went to bat them away, I noticed that they had berries on them. Surprised, I sat up and examined them. They looked like blueberries, except they weren't. They were dark on the inside and otherwise looked slightly different than a blueberry. Having had time to think about it now, I think that they were bilberries? Though I have never seen bilberries before or after this encounter with them. Had I been on top of these berries the whole time? Just too consumed with my need to drink to notice them? The branches weren't on the bush. It was as though someone had ripped off a bunch of branches from the bush and had left them beside the stream. I didn't do my due diligence to make sure that they were safe to eat. They looked like food. I was hungry, dying of starvation, with no idea when my next meal would come. So I ate, just as greedily as I had drank. They tasted like blueberries, but stronger, wilder. Just don't die. The voice was getting stronger, but it was hungry too. The world inside my head was considerably calmer after having some of my needs met. Sleep had put some much-needed distance between myself and what had happened to me. Finally, I was able to take a deep breath and look around. I was in a clearing in the forest, looking out over an idyllic stream. The stream wasn't massive, but it was bigger than a creek, it was big enough to drink from, and it was flowing downhill. Some of my energy had returned. I began to walk down the gentle hill and, hopefully, to civilization. 
Following the stream was promising for a while, but after a couple hours of walking, the stream led back into the forest. I didn't want to go back into the forest, but the clearing had ended, there was nowhere else to go. I needed to keep following the water, it was the only hope that I had. It had been a full day since I had arrived, and my body was beginning to acknowledge the reality that there were only so many days that I could survive on water and berries. I hadn't seen any animals, likely due to my loud presence in the forest. I wasn't hopeful that I could kill any of them if I had seen them either. I had no idea how to set a trap, and most animals are either smart enough or fast enough to get away from someone with a sharp stick, especially someone who is weak and slow due to starvation. Compounding this problem of weakness was my inability to build a fire for the second night in a row. I understood the basic idea. You twirl a stick into a piece of wood and press down as hard as you can, creating as much friction as possible. Eventually, this creates a spark which you can then use to light tinder. My attempts were entirely in vain. My bad hand hurt after a few attempts, and I wasn't even sure that I was doing it right in the first place. I switched focus to building a better shelter, with better protection from the elements than the night before. I ended up with something commendable in my opinion. It was large and well covered, mostly dry and mostly closed off. I did a better job of clearing the floor of the shelter, and had a bed of leaves to lay on to keep my body heat from going directly into the ground. I slept so well that I actually had a dream. I dreamt that I was at Matt's house, the one in Vancouver. You and I took a vacation to see him. It was the only time that I had ever been to that house just to visit him. It was summer and the place looked great, he had cleaned it up a lot. He greeted us like family and welcomed us inside. The sequence of events starts to get iffy from there. You know how dreams are. The next thing I remember is that we were watching a movie, I think? That's stereotypical Mike Walters, isn't it? Watching a movie even in my dreams. The next thing I knew, Matt pulled out a gun and shot you. I don't think you died. I kept saying that you died, but you kept getting up. It was a dream. I jumped up and screamed at Matt. Why did you do this? Stuff like that. I remember the feeling of screaming, really screaming, raw, guttural, hoarse screaming. Matt looked at me puzzled. What do you mean? He asked. Isn't that why you brought him here? Base was going to kill you, and you needed my help. This is what you came here to do, Mike. He said it so casually, like your life didn't mean a thing to him. He went back to watching the movie. I don't remember the rest, and then I woke up. There's a hypothesis that dreams, and especially nightmares, exist because they keep our minds alert, just in case we need to wake up quickly in order to escape from a predator. If that's true, then this nightmare certainly served its purpose. I jolted awake to the feeling of something in my face. It was a branch, which I brushed away. I had jolted upright, hitting my head on the top of the shelter, and causing part of it to fall apart. I looked at the branch. It had berries on it. I looked out of the opening of the shelter. It was dawn, the sun's light visible, but the sun not yet over the horizon. There was a pile of branches stacked sloppily in front of my shelter. They weren't kindling that I had gathered for the fire, and they weren't branches that I had gathered for the shelter. I stepped outside and inspected them. Billberries again. I shouted to whoever I thought might hear me. Hey! Hello? Is anybody out there? If you're out there, help me! I don't need berries! I need help! What's going on? Who are you? My voice echoed through the forest. Only the trees heard me. Just. Don't. Die.
The voice felt like my own again, but it still demanded answers. I ate the berries. I was starving. The berries weren't going to be enough, but they were something. I couldn't restrain my body from eating them. If this was someone's trick, then I was resigned to having fallen for it. I could die with indignity, poisoned by who knows, in a forest in who knows where, fine, I don't care. It was the alternative to starving, and the voice in my head that kept saying, just don't die, was not going to allow me to starve. I have to go again, Edgar. I'm so sorry. I barely have time to finish writing this down. I don't make my own schedule, as you might imagine. I don't know what they're going to make me do next. Everything they've had me do so far has been gut-wrenching. Sometimes I wonder if I could have gotten Hunter to spare base if I promised that he could kill me and it would be for the final time. But that didn't happen. I'll write again soon. Love, Mike. Edgar. In my first letter, I said that if you were reading these, then we were probably cuddled up on the sofa reading them together. After what they made me do today, I'm not so sure. I know that you are stronger than me and possess a much higher capacity for forgiveness. But I don't want to be forgiven. Not yet. Maybe by the time we see each other again, I will have worked that muscle enough to seek forgiveness from you. That I am a mere pawn, taking orders under threat of violence, does not bring me solace. I am going to take a deep breath, and then I am going to tell you about my third day in the forest. I did some more calling for help after eating the berries. I had convinced myself that there was someone in the forest with me who was either fucking with me or, frankly, not doing enough to help. I don't mean to sound ungrateful. Had it not been for the berries, I wouldn't be alive for the events that I'm about to describe to you. But the berries only helped me die slower. Dying is painful, and I hate doing it. It is only now that I can say that I am glad that I lived, now that I know that there is food and water waiting for me, assuming that I do my awful deeds for the day. I didn't want to live while I was in the forest. Instead, my body was compelled to live. And the more I lived, the louder the voice compelling me to live got. Just don't die. I drank my fill of water and began walking along the stream. That afternoon was a massive disappointment. I could see the stream getting weaker and weaker. I could tell that it would soon turn into a trickle and then into nothing at all. I had no way of filling up on water and carrying it with me if I chose to leave the stream. It wasn't directing me towards civilization. It was going to die before I ever saw civilization and me along with it. I spent days walking in one direction on a gamble and I lost. I stood there, looking over the muddy banks of the diminishing stream, what was now almost a creek. It was small enough by this point that I could jump over it without getting my shoes wet. I stared blankly into the water. There was a chance that I was even farther away from civilization than when I started. There was certainly no guarantee that I was closer. There's no telling how long I was standing there, zoned out, regretting everything that I had ever done. After spending so many months at base plotting out the exact minutes and seconds and locations that everything happened, the forest had a sort of temporal looseness. There was the sun, and that was it. 
The sun hadn't moved very far in the sky when I heard a branch snap behind me. I jumped and turned in surprise. It was the first time that I had heard movement on the ground since I had started walking. Up until then, I had only heard birdsong. I turned around to find a large brown bear maybe 50 feet away from me, looking directly at me. It was sauntering toward me, unafraid, perhaps curious. I hadn't encountered another human in that forest, and it was possible that the bear hadn't either and was trying to figure out what my deal was, and maybe what I tasted like. I do not have a healthy fear of bears, informed by a respect for their intelligence and power. What I have is a flight response, informed by multiple near-death experiences with a brown bear. I leapt over what was left of the small stream without consciously deciding to do so. The bear would have to decide if it was worth it to wade through the water and come get me. It kept approaching just as casually. Just. Don't. Die. The voice was louder than my own for the first time in a long time. I ran perpendicular to the stream away from the bear as far as I could until I physically couldn't run anymore. I didn't look back to see if the bear was chasing me until I had come to a stop. When I had run away from Marissa when she thought that I was the bear, I wasn't looking where I was going and had run into a tree and injured myself. I couldn't afford to not notice something in my path and end up tripping over it. If I broke my leg out there, it would have been a death sentence just as much as getting mauled by a bear would have been. When I turned around, I couldn't see the bear. If it had wanted to chase me down, it could have. I was not running fast, and even if I had been, a bear can run much faster than I can. Still, I felt like I had dodged a bullet. Since the stream was a bust, I didn't have a direction to walk in anymore. I kept walking in the direction that I had run from the bear. It was as good a direction as any. There was forest as far as the eye could see. It was demoralizing. It felt infinite. I seriously considered whether Hunter had sent me so far into the distant past that I was in a time before humanity and the growth of cities. Maybe there were no people to head towards. Maybe I was the only person on Earth. Maybe I was in dinosaur times. Except I couldn't be because of the bear. Scratch that. The calculators had restrictions on them that limited them to a certain time frame both in the past and the future, but that doesn't mean that Hunter didn't know how to get around that. So I had no proof that I wasn't sent a million years into the past, long before anything even resembling a human made it this far north. I had no way of knowing. It sounds ridiculous now, but I deliberately dismissed those thoughts because I was sure that I was going to die. I didn't want to be thinking about Hunter and what he had done to me as I died. It felt wrong. It felt like I was letting him defeat me, even though he had already clearly defeated me. It was silly. It was something that would matter only to me. But I've died a few times before, probably more than anyone on Earth, so I'm a little particular about how it goes. I didn't want to die like I did doing the second challenge thinking about Dexter. I wanted to think about you, Edgar. I wanted to remember your face. I wanted to think about the life that we never had, a life that I don't think we ever could have had. I wouldn't have ever met you had I not been enmeshed in circumstances that ensured that we could never have that life. Me and you, Panther. Alone. Peaceful. A roaring fireplace. Just us. No base. No Wobegon. Just us. A moment where neither of us was planning something. 
a moment where neither of us were scared or were in pain. Something that we could never have because I was going to die out there in that wretched wilderness. Something that we can't have because now I'm trapped here. Something we will never have because even if I escape, we are the architects of a world that has made that impossible. We built that possibility together, and it stays standing when we're apart. So if I was going to die, stomach full of berries, I wanted to be thinking about you. It rained hard that afternoon and into the night. I didn't have time to make a shelter before everything got wet. My weak, shivering hands made a shelter that couldn't keep the water out. I shook with cold all night on the wet ground. I finally fell asleep late into the night after the rain stopped and the temperature began to rise a bit. I actually thought that I was dying. I was so weak. I was freezing and I was starving. I couldn't possibly be falling asleep. I thought that I must be dying. I was too weak to fight, so I thought of you. It turned out that I was just sleeping. Day four was the hottest day yet. I woke up to my makeshift shelter feeling hot and humid. It felt like I had been sealed into it. It felt like a sauna. When I opened my eyes, I realized that I had been sealed into it. There were branches covering the opening of the shelter and plugging the holes in the top. Bilberries. More than I could count. If I didn't care where they came from before, I sure as hell didn't care now. I ate, fistful over fistful of berries. I ate my way out of the shelter, discarding the branches as I went. I didn't question who was doing this or why, I just ate. I ate until I couldn't bear to eat anymore. I stuffed my pockets with what remained and stepped out into the daylight. I barely had time to stretch and yawn before I heard yet another twig snap behind me. Sure enough, when I turned around there was yet another brown bear in the near distance watching me. I wasn't as afraid this time. The other bear hadn't chased me down. I was in their territory making a racket, and they seemed like they just wanted to know what was going on. I stared at the bear for a minute or two. It didn't move towards me. I slowly began backing away, and then, once I was sure that it wasn't following me, walking. I needed to start walking anyway, and I hadn't picked a direction yet. Away from the bear was as good as any. It only took a couple hours of walking before the forest ended. It opened up into a clearing as far as the eye could see. The landscape suddenly went down a steep hill, meaning that I was at a high vantage point. Looking over the edge, I could see it. Civilization. Or a set of buildings, rather. It wasn't a city, but it was a place. I could see people. They were moving around. They were going through what I could only assume was their workday. I bolted. I don't know how I was able to run that fast. I was running on berries and adrenaline. I ran faster than I ever have before. I could feel the wind whooshing around me. The buildings were far away down the hill. I ran until I was out of breath, and then I kept running. Eventually, I made it to the front gate. When I got there, the guard at the entrance immediately pointed a gun at me. Well, shit. No, 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 it's fine, actually. I put my hands up. He handcuffed me. I tried to explain that I didn't know where I was, that I had been lost in the woods, that we could get this all sorted out. Hey, man, I work for the government, too. I don't have any ID, but I could get in contact with Over, and they can verify who I am. The guard didn't respond. He led me further into the compound. 
That was fine with me. Prisoners get food and sometimes they get released. That was a much better set of circumstances than the one I had just been in. He led me into a room, commanded me to sit in a chair, and left. I sat there for an incalculable amount of time. I had trouble telling time in the forest, but it was even harder in a room with no windows. I was uncomfortable sitting in a chair with my hands cuffed behind my back, but I was optimistic. You have to care for and feed a hostage. It's actually a huge pain in the ass. I learned that the hard way. You have to feed them and make sure that they don't hurt themselves or sit in one way for too long and make sure that they have access to clean water and restrooms and frankly, it isn't worth it. It's too much work for too little profit. Hopefully I would be too much work and they'd let me go. Eventually, the door to the room opened. Mike Walters? I just got out of a meeting with you. What are you doing here? Fuck. I recognized the voice. That's no good. It was much better when I thought that I was dealing with strangers. Strangers don't have anything to hold against me. God damn it. I'm in the flinchite compound? I said, not so much to tie betteridge, but more as an exclamation into the open air. I'm genuinely curious as to how you got here, Ty said. We didn't send for you. You look rough. I was in the forest, I explained. I ended up here because I was running away from a bear. A bear? Ty asked. I don't think that there are any bears in Latvia anymore, especially this far west. I think they were hunted to extinction decades ago. And that is what led to the state of affairs as they are today. You can imagine the rest. I don't think that I'll ever write to you about what they made me do here. I would just as soon forget, but I know that neither of us will ever be able to. It weighs heavy on my soul. I have to go again. It's never good when I have to go, but I'll write again soon. I hope that one day you'll read this. I love you, Panther. No matter what happens, remember that. I love you. I hope that you're still alive. I hope that I can see you again. I hope that I don't end up hurting you too badly. Love, Mike. Do I keep putting bears in the show so that I can keep using this sound effect? Yep. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.